which was the first real sound that had ever been transmitted to a human ear by electricity. everyone and welcome to episode 9 of the Music Dissectors recorded November the 2nd 2017. I'm your host David Holloway and my wonderful co-host as always is Matthew J.C. Powell. How are you Matthew? I am tired David. It's it's too late in the year. Can I can I nap? Can I can I have a nap oh, until like 2018? You. Look I'm with you on that it, and you're right it does seem I think as you get older it's just after about September it just gets yeah. a little bit hard. Yeah, and I, I, I think having the government collapsing and stuff is, <laughs> it's just taking stuff out of me. Look, there's a part of me, i got, I got to say, it, it makes me happy to watch them. I'm getting a lot of popcorn eaten, but, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> what, another, another one's quit today, oh, really? Yeah. President of the Senate's gone now? Oh, God. <laughs> um, it, yeah. it just takes it out of you. Takes it, it does. Out of you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a nap. <clears throat> and I'm not wake, get... wake me up when it's over. Well, I feel a bit like that this week, and I'm not going to get too personal, but um, I basically lost a good mate this week um, who died very, very suddenly at, at a too young an age. So, I mean, this one very much goes out to you, Graham, um, and he's been a big supporter. And Matthew, in a previous life, he was photographer when I used to go out and do interviews for some wonderful editor. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, well, well I, I'm very sorry to hear about his loss then. That's, yeah, so, so uh, this that, episode, that, that is good. This episode is dedicated to him, although I'm not sure what he thought about the hummingbirds, which we're about to hear more about. But before we talk about that, uh, again, thanks to Gian for last episode. Um, that was excellent. We've had some lovely feedback on that one. Um, and uh, we, we sort of going to go to an Aussie album this time. We go from what was a British album to an Aussie one and we jump forward 25 years. Have I done that right? No, 15 years. 15 years. 15 years, sorry. My maths is terrible. To 1989 and we're going to be talking about the Hummingbirds Love Buzz Uh, and our guest, as you'll hear, is um, Andrew P. Street. Now, I uh, invited Andrew on, won't bore you with all the details, but I'm on an email list that Andrew happens to be on. Had had no real idea of Andrew's backstory, um, except that he's released this great book, which you'll hear about in a sec. And um, I asked him to come on the podcast and he agreed. And then I did my research and realised that he's, you know, an extremely well-respected journalist, um, had a long-standing column in the City Morning Herald called View from the Street, uh, which you would call it if you're Andrew Street. You'd have to. It's compulsory. It's compulsory, and I think I like that. Um, and he no, he no longer writes for the Herald, but has just launched, like us, on Patreon. Although unlike, unlike us, he's um, been inundated with uh, patrons. <laughs> uh, so he's writing a couple of times a week on politics. His view from the street column directly to readers, and for a measly three dollars a month, 
uh, you get two columns a week. And um, I've only three dollars a month. Exactly, and I recommend that's it. a great price. Absolutely. Um, so I'm very happy with my three dollars so far. So so recommend that. I, I will link to that in the show notes. And he's also a podcaster. I didn't realize um, until after doing the research. He's um, one half of the but double. Surely dis- his podcast isn't as good as this one. <laughs> it might even be better. No. <laughs> So the double disillusionists, and and it's not only better because Andrew's I on like it. that. Yeah, that's oh that this this man is a gifted punster. He is, and his co-host is Dom Knight, who you should oh, know, Matthew. Cool, yeah. yes. So I always love listening to ABC Evenings uh, with Dom. So they they do a a podcast um, that is well worth the listen as well. So yeah, definitely check that out. Link to his book, which you'll hear about. Um, last thing before we jump in. Actually, no, I might... Uh, yeah, we, um, Klaatu. Tell me about Klaatu, Matthew. This is a Beatles reference that I only learned about this week, and I'm hoping it might be something new to you, although I doubt it. It, it, is, it is not. Kla- nah, Klaatu, it... Klaatu was... Uh, oh, gee, they're, they're Scandinavian. I think they might have been Swedish. Yeah. And there was a rumour that they were, in fact, John Lennon and Paul McCartney yes. secretly reforming. Yeah. Uh, they were not. No. I just happen to... I, I've always liked, believe it or not, as Daggies is that song, Calling Occupants of Interplanetary Craft. Um, it is... What are, you, what are you talking about, as daggy as it is? Well, it's, a, it's, that, a dag, it's, it's catchy. One the, it's one it? of the greatest songs ever. It's a, I love it. I, I won't deny Interplanetary that. Interplanetary Most Extraordinary Craft. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it just came up on Spotify the other day, and I thought, oh, Klaatu, and I looked them up, and I actually listened to a couple of other albums, and I can totally understand why they copped... The Beatles rumor because there are some songs you go, yeah, I could totally picture this being a Beatles throwaway. Mm. Um, but yeah, anyway, I didn't think I'd catch you out, but I just thought it was interesting. Nah, no, you, you won't, you won't catch me out with Klaatu. No, no. <laughs> there you go. All right, so let's jump into our interview with Andrew P. Street. Hi, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it is a pleasure to be here. And I think I think we should be grateful. That we were talking before we started recording that we're you know we're all coming up to middle age to be kind to all of us, and you know it's that time <laughs> of year where there's coughs and splutters, and so it's good to have all three of us here. Look, and, and I have the bonus thing of uh, my my ten month old son has uh, has been going to, to daycare, so oh. he's been bringing home as many viruses as he can carry. So, uh, you know, our, our collective age, family immune. <laughs> yeah, look, the, he he's he's got. I think he's he's got almost all of them now. It's like I've, I, it's like Pokemon, <laughs> as I understand it. And he's yep. uh, yeah, so he's, he's he's giving the uh, my wife and I um a, a, a very uh, excitingly, excitingly robust test of our uh, <laughs> of our immune systems. As um, parents, uh, Matthew and I, as parents of slightly older children, I think it's safe to say that you can look forward to that being even worse when they hit primary school. Anyway, that's what I found. Oh, spectacular! <laughs> see, uh, see, the, see, the, the illnesses get more interesting as well. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant! We just kind of come home and go like, yeah, yeah. There's there's, there's a lot of leukemia going around. <laughs> 
Awesome. Oh, if we could have wait. a dad's podcast, at least <laughs> not. So, Andrew, um, the reason I actually asked you on and, and not knowing about your background until doing my research after asking you on is that you've written uh, a book that I know I, I'm hanging out to, to um, receive in my mailbox. But do you want to tell us about this book that you've written that's coming out before Christmas? Because it's pretty damn pertinent to this podcast. I would love to talk about it because, uh, you know, I, I've, I've got my entire, in, child's entire future banking on it. Uh, <laughs> it is called The Long and Winding Way to the Top, uh, 50 or so songs that made Australia, which is a, um, a very long and rambling title for a book that is basically, it just picks uh, 50 songs, uh, starting with The Wild One by Johnny O'Keefe, ending with January 26 by AB Original, that either say something about Australia or change the conversation that was happening in Australia at the time, or just sort of illustrated something about the Australian character or Australian culture, or where I felt that there was kind of something at least vaguely amusing I could say about it. And uh, I would say 47 of the 50-odd are very, very good songs, and three of them are ghastly, and there's a lot of other ones referenced in there. So it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's a pretty ramshackle breakneck run through 60 something years of australian music i i have i have to ask i'm sorry and, and i and i know that david wants to ask too which is why i'm jumping in now what are the what are the three i, I was guessing shut up your face was one that absolutely is one the, the, you can't really the, <clears throat> there are a lot of a lot of songs which i was familiar with uh you know, from growing up or sort of, you know, had been kind of in, in the background. And then when you kind of really listen to them and really di dive deep into them, you, you sort of discover, you know, how great they are or, or, or just hear, hear them anew in some sort of way. And then there's Shut Up Your Face, which, believe me, no matter how hard you dig, there's, there's so, it's very hard to sort of, beyond sort of saying like this came out of a very interesting time in, in Carlton in, in the, the artistic history of, of inner city Melbourne sort of at the, uh, at the height of punk and then to go and shut up your face is what we got. But, um, but yeah, so that, that's it. There's the, there's, there's, okay, that's, that's one. I, there's, there's two more. Come on, come on. Come on. Uh, well, let's see. There's angels brought me here by guy Sebastian, which, okay. um, is not uh, by any stretch the Guy Sebastian song that anybody would choose, including I think it's fair to say Guy Sebastian. Yeah. Um, but it did it did illustrate that that sort of powerful moment when um, when television uh, televised uh, talent quests became the main way that you could get signed as a new artist to a major label, and. Um, yeah, that, look the 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 third you you you'll just have to read. There we yeah, go. There you go. A bit I'm of throwing, suspense. Throwing save yeah. save something for the for the actual sales. Okay. Exactly. Fair enough. Exactly. Fair enough. A little bit. A little well, bit of for, forward sizzle, I believe they call it. <laughs> forward sizzle. I like it. <laughs> it's going to have to be in my stocking so that I find out what the other ghastly song is. Yeah. Oh, like, I got to say, like, <laughs> I, I, you're following a theme there that I like because when, whenever I see Guy Sebastian, I do think, "Ah, shut up, your face." <laughs> Look, I I I think for a. Uh, for a Pentecostal Christian from Adelaide, he has made such a transition into kind of uh, cosmopolitan lover man of uh, of of the uh, of the R&B world. It's a it's a bizarre move, which I think can really be summed up entirely by him shaving off his his afro. Yeah, 
from everything he's done since then, it's just been smooth. Yep. I, 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 I disapprove of anybody cutting or shaving their hair, um, you know, just on religious grounds almost. I, I understand. <laughs> this is why we don't have a video we... podcast. <laughs> yes. Should we explore that? <laughs> Tell us about your feelings on hair. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I'm a hairy person, and, I, and I'm going to stay that way. Absolutely. I, I look, I understand. As a, as a beardy fellow, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Exactly. Exactly. Why, why would anybody shave their beard off? I don't know. If you can grow no. a beard, you grow a beard. Right? Damn straight. Yeah. <sighs> I feel left out. Anyway, <laughs> we, should, we should move back to music. We were talking about music. We were allegedly. Now, a- Andrew, you mentioned about you know <laughs> using talent quests to get signed to major labels. Uh, I know you haven't gone in any talent quests, but I'd love you to provide a bit more detail on a sentence you wrote in your own bio on your website. And, and I quote, he was an Adelaide-based indie rock star, which worked out about as well as you'd expect from that description. So tell us about, <laughs> tell us about your own music career. Right. Well, look, I, I I have consistently described myself as a uh, as a, a journalist, author, editor, and failed indie rock god. But the um, yeah, being uh, when I was in Adelaide, I, I formed a band called The Undecided, which uh, I told everybody at the time was because it was kind of a tribute to that other great um, South Australian band, the uh, the Masters Apprentices, uh, their <laughs> debut single. And that's a complete lie. It was obviously because all the people in the band could not agree on a name, yeah. <laughs> which which turned in, into something of a theme because uh, the the next band I formed with <laughs> was uh, was called Career Girls, which it was a perfect name for a bunch of not very career motivated sort of guys in their early thirties. I like it. So we, um, yeah. So th- those two bands, they we recorded. We did a minuscule amount of touring, and we achieved. I think it's fair to say very little, but we, um, but the, the career girls very occasionally get back together when we're all in, in the one town. Um, one of us is in Melbourne, two of us are in Adelaide, I'm in Sydney, so it doesn't happen no. nearly as often as we'd like. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's, it, and it's one of those things where, like, like, it, it, it's kind of, it's slightly tricky to talk about because. I feel like either I massively oversell it or I really undersell it. Like, <laughs> but it was genuinely, genuinely the thing that I was concentrating on for you know well over a decade. Where I was, I genuinely thought, as as I think a lot of delusional people in my twenties do, that you know this this is what we were going to do. We were we were going to be rock stars. And the bit where we were still in Adelaide, I think, didn't sort of occur to any of us until quite a lot later in the piece. And um, and it was it was also like quite a lot later in the piece when I'd, I'd been writing professionally for about for about 12 years or something, when it sort of very, very slowly dawned on me that that was probably my career since it was the thing I made any money from at all, as, as, as opposed to uh, standing around playing bass guitar and singing. Yeah, and that was my next question as far as what you played. And so, I mean, look, I'd argue you're still an indie rock star, Andrew. And, um, well, well, I'm about as successful as most indie rock stars. Yeah, so to be, to be fair, <laughs> financially, yeah, there's, there's not, not a lot between me and, you know, and, it, and well, the Hummingbirds probably did slightly better than me. But Yeah, no, nice segue. And I was about to say, you chose an indie rock group that did do relatively well, at least in Australia. Indeed. Terms. 
So, yeah, hummingbirds, love buzz. Um, let, let's talk a bit about that, given that's the whole purpose of the podcast. Um, probably harking back to your own time playing more full on and then when this came out, what, what are your memories of the indie scene at the time that this album hit? You know, what stood out for you about them? Well, well it was that, that thing that I, I think I first heard the hummingbirds on, there was a, a compilation that came out um, called Youngblood. Uh, there was a, a label called Ruart. Yeah. which had been formed by uh, In Excess's manager. And depending on who you believe, it was kind of, uh, it, it was either a, uh, a way of giving something back to the, to the Australian music scene from a, from a man who enjoyed a lot of success overseas, or it was potentially a tax write-off for <laughs> In Excess. So I, 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 and they um and they did this this compilation uh, which I think was sort of kind of a bit of a audition tape really because I think five of the bands on five five of the twelve bands that were on the um, on the label ended up being on uh, sorry on the compilation ended up being on the label and you know it was at a time when I was just let's see it would have been like eighty seven eighty eight so I was in high school and I was really just starting to explore Australian music uh, or contemporary Australian music. Like it's sort of, I was already fairly obsessed with models at that point and, um, and models had started getting quite commercial. Mm. And a lot of the other bands that I'd liked had either sort of split up or, or were sort of moving sort of in, in more of a rock direction that I wasn't particularly into. And then I sort of picked up Youngblood for $5 or, or something it was at some ridiculous introductory price, and everything on it was kind of good. Like there was, there was, uh, I think Crash Politics were on it, and Tall Tales and True, and and uh, Who's Gerald, which was kind of like a a, a, a very early version of Custard. Um, okay, yep. It was like Dave McCormack's very first band, yeah. and um, and then at the very end was the song Hindsight by the Hummingbirds, and it was just this huge fuzz guitar and like chiming female harmonies over over this guy that sort of uh, like Simon Holmes just doing this very disaffected almost sort of cod punk vocal delivery and then with Al- Alana and Robin sort of coming in with these gorgeous gorgeous harmonies and I was just like it, it was so melodic but so messy and it was so sloppy but it was so beautiful and it I just became absolutely obsessed and I was I wore out a cassette like rewinding it and playing it and rewinding it and playing it and rewinding it and playing it and and I just decided right this is it this is this is what I want all bands to sound like from now on and um, and then when I heard that they were recording their debut album with Mitch Easter who uh, I, I was by that stage a fairly obsessive REM fan. I was just oh he did he did the first two REM records oh my god oh my god oh my god this is going to be incredible <laughs> and proceeded he to did the, he did the first three REM albums actually well he did well Chronic Town was the 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 first EP and then he did Murmur oh, okay. oh, of course, Murmur of course, and Reckoning yes. sorry um, yep you're you're right I forgot one of them was an EP <laughs> and then the, uh, then the the third album I think you'll find to be uh, Fables of Reconstruction that was uh, that was done in the UK. Yeah, I uh, anyway. Yeah. Sorry, I, 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 for, I forgot that the first one was an EP. I'll wear yeah, that. I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, you did say something I, I, obsessive, didn't you? Yeah. Yes, it's. I've, 
tragic, tragic this. But I, I and I can remember like basically staking out Seeing Years, which was a, a record store in Rundle Mall, and it was the it was the first sort of indie record store I knew of because I, you know, up until that point I kind of bought all my records at Brashes in um, in like the the giant Westfield that that my family shopped at, and this was the first time I kind of went into the into the middle of the city and went into seeing is was like below ground level in this kind of basement store and the staff were all incredibly knowledgeable and very dismissive. Yeah. And I was, com- I felt completely out of my depth and years later I would end up working at one of, uh, at, at one of the big star um, indie stores in Adelaide with some of those people who were the, at the time working at seeing is. So it was, um, yeah, the, the Hummingbirds kind of opened up a whole world to me of sort of not not just music, but also kind of the whole fashion and smug, <laughs> smug, supercilious joys of, uh, of of being a record collector and being a, a record obsessive. Mm, mm. I, can, so, I can smell it. I, I, <laughs> Uh, look, I, I I totally sympathise actually. When when you're describing that uh, sort of uh, record store underground in the Rundle Mall and stuff, I mean, uh, I had the the same experience. Which in in fact, my uh, my my indie record mecca, probably from roughly the same time you're talking about, was actually Phantom Records in Pitt Street. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, and, which, and when I came up to Sydney, was it, which was ab- always... above ground, but uh, it, it was so different to Brashes, you know. Mm. <laughs> you, you go in there and, 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 and it's like, wow, there's, there really is much more to this music industry than what's on the, the discount shelves up, yeah. the, up the road there. You know? Well, the wonderful thing about Phantom was that Simon from the Hummingbirds worked there. So yeah, like, yeah. When, whenever, whenever my, 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 my family were mainly from Sydney, so whenever we'd come to visit my grandparents or something, I, I would go, go to Phantom and basically lurk like a like creepy shadow basically flipping through entire racks of music and just trying to hear what Simon Holmes was talking to somebody about. <laughs> That's gone. And I, I, like, I think that might have been the first time I ever heard of Red Cross. was just like, Simon from Hungary was like, Red Cross, I'm going to have to hear Red Cross. <laughs> like, it was pathetic. Like, and and I mean, years and years later, sort of when I got to, got to know him slightly, it, I can remember at one point coming really close to telling him that story and just going, no, no, shut up, shut up, <laughs> shut up, shut up. <laughs> You'll run up. the other way. <laughs> so yeah, it was. Uh, you know, he, uh, I hear a worst Simon in particular, but the, I mean the whole band. I just thought were perfect. They were just, you know, that classic four-piece lineup. There were two boys, two girls. They looked incredible. They sounded incredible. Simon and Alana played. Uh, Alana Rasek was the other guitarist mm. and, and vocalist, and sort of the, the the second main songwriter. And they. Um, they just complimented themselves beautifully. Robin Sinclair, the bassist, was, she wrote these beautiful twee pop songs. I mean, she'd already been in Love Positions by that stage and uh, had written Into Your Arms, which the, the Lemonheads later had a hit with, and had written Don't Slow Down, which uh, Ratcat turned into Don't Go Now. Oh, yeah. So she was, she was kind yeah. of this, this like, br- like pop genius who wrote these impossibly simple but perfect songs and then there was simon kind of every so often he would break into like, like for, for a guy who tended to write sort of big chunky chord songs 
there would be these little m- moments like the the bridge of blush or the guitar solo in two weeks for a good with a good man where you'd sort of realize that he was clearly a dude who had you know grown up learning eddie van halen licks and stuff like that and just you know like one of these people who was, was a much better musician than he was letting on because it was evidently very uncool to be able to like pull out a bitchin solo but you know it was just everything about them was was perfect it's absolutely perfect and did you ever entertain um ideas of you know they, they went through three bass players on and off over their career do you ever you know entertain mm. ideas of inserting yourself into the equation Oh, one hundred percent. I I I had learned all of their their bass lines, and um, and you know, it was one of those things that I just had fantasies of, of you know, going to a gig, and <laughs> you know, just just before the the the. You know, the curtains coming up, you know, Mark Temple coming to the front of the stage and going, there's been a terrible accident. Is there a bassist in the house? And the reason I'm laughing so much, Andrew, is I've had that that delusion so many times myself because <laughs> I'm a keyboard player and I've had exactly the same thought so many times. Oh, man, I, I remember when, when throwing muses to it and they were, um, uh, they, they'd just gone to a three-piece. I think the first time that they played in, in Australia, they were uh, was touring... Oh God, was it university? So maybe they'd been to three piece for a while by that stage. But I still, just in case, learned all of Tanya Donnelly's <laughs> guitar parts. Just in case they were like, Oh, you know, we've got this request to play, you know, counting backwards, but oh, we don't have a rhythm guitarist. And I was just gonna go, Well, well you know, if I made offer my services. I love Oddly it. enough, it didn't happen. <laughs> it's never yeah, I know. Oh, I sympathize with that so much. And I mean, you mentioned on the Ruark compilation, Andrew. Was did you say that was um, which song was it that was on there? Uh, hindsight, yeah, which, 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 which was actually they, one of their EPs from the Phantom period before they went to Ruark. Yeah, they did. That they was did on a Ruark compilation. Well, they re-recorded it for. for oh, did they? That. Okay. Yeah, so it was kind of yeah. They'd done I think four singles for Phantom, and then yeah. they then they re-recorded Hindsight for for that compilation. Um, okay. And I I I, th- I could be wrong, but I think on some editions of the album of um, Love Buzz, like maybe the, the the American edition, I think Hindsight might have been included. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly for the for the already you know magnificently long <laughs> uh, version that we got in Australia, they, yeah. it, it didn't make the cut. No, fourteen songs, and so I mean, let's. Uh, you've obviously talked about first time you've heard the hummingbirds. First time you got the album in your hot little hands. Do you remember listening to it? I remember just thrashing it again. I got it on cassette because um, you know this this compact disc technology just seemed you know crazily uh, you know like it was a fad, and I knew that it was going <laughs> to die out. And, and that and that if you really wanted great audio fidelity. And um, and and just you know a format that was going to last. You, you you wanted to grab everything you could on cassette. <laughs> Certainly never regretted that decision. <laughs> and, um, but uh, but yeah, I just I would just thrash it and thrash it and thrash it. And it was one of those albums where one side was quite a lot. I think side one was quite a lot longer than side two. So you, you like it would get to miles to, miles to go, which is the very last song on the record, and. Uh, you'd have to fast forward quite a way to 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 get it, so that then you could turn it around. Or if you had it in in the car, and you know this is this the era when car cars only had like you know you basically put the cassette in and they just 
played and then they turned over and then they played and then they turned over yes. and they played. So you'd, you'd manage to have that sort of nice, awkward seven-minute silence <laughs> before suddenly Blush came back on. So um, it was definitely when I, when I was putting the very, very first version of The Undecided together, it was one of those records I just taped for anybody, you know, who was potentially going to be in the band. It was just like, okay, this, this is what we're going to be doing. And that <laughs> turned out not to quite be the case because um, we definitely needed more cool girls in the band than the amount that we ended up having, which was zero. <laughs> so the ah, yes, that does seem a little low. Yeah, definitely compared to the to the to the sort of the percentages that the hummingbirds had, uh, it's definitely yeah. much lower than than half. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, just on the production of it, before we get into songs, I, I noticed there's two things I love about the production team is the photography was done by someone. I had the pleasure of spending an hour with recently Tony Mott. He gave a talk. Oh, yes. He gave a talk mm. um, at the art gallery where I was nearby about, because he's, uh, he's got this brilliant book, um, and um, talked for an hour and a quarter about his experiences. Didn't mention the hummingbirds, but he's an amazing guy if you ever get the opportunity to have a chat to him, if you haven't. Oh, he is, he is spectacular. I, I, have, I have enjoyed nights out with Tony Mott. And, oh, there you go. Um, uh, which, which, which I remember, I think, better than probably he does. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to say, if if he was speaking for an hour and a half, that would have been one of the shorter conversations he's yeah, had. Yeah, he does like to he, talk. He is he is a raconteur, that man. Oh, he and, delivers and the goods. Every yes, absolutely. I mean, his stories are exquisitely good, and and I mean that that's a man who has been everywhere and knows everyone. Oh, it's stunning. done everything. Yeah, absolutely, and but, the other one that is notable is the executive producer on the production, and I'll, I'll be damn impressed if you know this person, Quiff Boy Plansky. That's a cool name, <laughs> Quiff Boy Plansky. I I don't I don't even know who they're referring to. I can't. I'm trying to think of anybody connected with the hummingbirds. I, I suspect that might not be his real name. Yeah, I think uh, look, that's right. my guess. Um, <laughs> although you know. He might, uh, you know, I, I've known a lot of quiff boys during my time. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, with, with people sort of, you know, 1972, I think it was like the fourth most popular boy's name or something. So, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of Davids, a lot of quiff boys. And um, there was, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think who signed. I mean, I don't know, that, that could well be uh, a reference to Chris Murphy. I, but I don't oh, think you could be quiff. too. Yeah, look, that'd be. I might have to research that after the show. You could be right there. Yeah, please. Um, so let's I'd be talk, curious to know. Let's talk songs, and I think with your passion for the album, it may be difficult for you to pick out ones. But um, you know, what what are the songs listening to it now that really still get you? I mean, you're allowed to say the whole album, but it does make for a short <laughs> podcast. Fair enough. Look, um, it, it's one of those records where I think at one point or another, every song on it has been my favourite song. But the the one the one that has been the most enduring. I mean, like it, it's easy to say blush because blush was the single. Yeah. It was it, it was and is an amazing song. But um, like Alana only got one song on on this record, and I don't know why because she certainly on on later Hummingbirds records she contributed many many more. But Tuesday is I think one of the most perfect songs ever written. It's just this. It's a short story in you know, three and a half minutes. It's got a elegant solo in the middle. It's got a beautiful little sort of uh, la-la-la bridge. All the words are perfect. Uh, it's just jangles along 
and it's mm. like it, it's just it's it's just one of those it's just a perfect pop song which, which I, I realize is a big call for a record that is nothing but perfect pop song In the fields, yeah. In I, such a... I, 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 say, <laughs> I like I like the production on Tuesday, um, the, the the way that that's put together and, and, and the way that that's balanced, uh, and as you say, yes, it is like a little a little story, and and it the way the way that it ends, uh, the the play out has this sort of sort of walking out into an empty street, with the breeze in your hair sort of feel to it, uh, mm. that, that that comes from from the production and something, uh, I, I I quite liked. The way that song ends, it, it it feels very satisfying, and it's one of those ones where you like again, sort of because it is so much like a little story or a little film. Like the the fact that it does resolve on that sort of big A chord at the end is is. I'm oh, sorry. No, is it? Is it no? Oh, come on. What happens here? Well, I know you're not likely to get caught up anymore, Andrew. But I thought you would have kept the God damn it! Um, but yeah, it, it, like the fact that it resolves is really important because, yes. it, um, like, if, if it had just ended up on the mixed up head, then it, yeah, it, it sort of feel like, you'll, you'll, like you'll there was a sur- door that never opened. <laughs> a door you'll, that you'll, you'll have to edit in the the ending of the song there for us, David, <laughs> so that uh, so then listeners can say that's not an A, yeah, that's right. an E sharp major. <laughs> And and what else stands out to you, Andrew? If if it's possible to know, I know it's like favorite children. Uh, look, house taken over was kind of um, this this big growling. Like it was one it was one of the slower songs on the record, and mm. it's and it's you know it's got that sort of big vibrato guitar, so uh, which sort of. Sounds a little bit like um, "How Soon Is Now" by the Smiths. So you sort of, it just chugs along so so beautifully, and the harmonies go everywhere. And I, I think that was kind of, in a way, the first, the first kind of shoegaze song I ever heard. Because like subsequently, I you know would fall in love with bands like My Bloody Valentine and Ride and Swerve Driver and Lush and Slow Dive and and, and all these other, other bands who kind of had that same thing of a, of really fragile vocals over huge, big, chunky sort of effect-covered guitars. Mm. And and I think it was House Taken Over that was, was kind of the first time I went, ooh, this I like.
and um, mm. and again, it was you know it was quite a an unusual thing for a, for a band for an Australian band to be doing. And I mean, the record came out in '89. I think it was recorded in '88. Mm. So so again, they were very much of the moment. I mean, that's the mm. sort of era when um, see what Loveless came out in '89 as well. So you know, there, there weren't many people doing what they were doing. I was, I was just going to say, you know, your highlights seem to be my highlights. Uh, cause, cause, yeah, House Taken Over was was uh, a favorite of mine as well. Uh, I, I uh, particularly I like the sort of crazy, chaotic ending to it. Yeah, uh, where, yeah. Where, where, where the song's finished, it's, it's it's just screeching and madness, and um, you know, I I, I like that. It it uh sort of breaks the sort of mold of how the rec- how the rest of the album's been going because it's been fairly conventional pop up to that point mm. and then it's like we're going to give you something different now hold on well <laughs> well also then then right after that you get get on down which is like you know the the, the shortest poppiest thing in the world and complete with um one of the things which I thought was absolutely hilarious then, and I think it's hilarious now. In fact, I, I was laughing when I was listening to this this morning because I'd actually forgotten it completely. Um, how at the very end, sort of, you know, when they've got like the the repeated chorus, one of the melody lines is Simon going, "Where the hummingbirds." <laughs> <laughs> It's like they're, they're the banana splits or something. It's <laughs> Everything's <wonderful>. arch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have a lot of respect for a band that references itself in a song. Absolutely. Uh... <laughs> and see, I don't feel like I'm on the same way. So, my, I mean, my two fave picks were um, She Knows, so it's the second song. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, Word Gets Around. I'm a big fan of Word Gets Around. Um, we might have a quick listen to that now as well. Well, I know that you've been talking about the things that I said. It really doesn't matter what I say anyway. I think that you should understand. Work gets around. You've been talking around. I mentioned about word word gets around before you say it. I think I think and like far be it from me to be second guessing a producer, an engineer of the you know uh, stature of Mitch Easter, but I think on word gets around the drums are a tad heavy. That might have been Quiff Boys. Uh, he might have jumped in. He <laughs> executive producer. He might have I, just stuck I, I his feel, head I in. I feel like they're a little bit too high in the Quiff mix. Boys. <laughs> It, 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 it is like one of the... every, every once in a while we've got this, these lovely harmonies going on, 
um, between the male and female lead singers. And some really, really nice stuff. And you think, if you could just shoot that drummer, you'd have a beautiful (laughs) folk rock song here. (laughs) (laughs) But there's... (laughs) I did hear them do it acoustically once, and, and, and it worked so well as a folk rock song. Yeah, yeah, and and look, I'm not saying he's a bad drummer. You you listen to the drumming on Blush, and it's like, my God, this guy's a legend. But yeah, a little high in the mix. It's a little high. In the mix. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean, aside from, yeah, I mean, Alimony was was also a, a, um, like that 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 riff in Alimony. That's that's, that's the third so single good. album. Yeah, and that I mean, again, that had been one that which they'd uh, they'd recorded earlier and then re-recorded, but. It's just such a. Uh, I, mean, I think I think if, I could be wrong, but I, I I think the original version of Alamany was their debut single, and and again, like Mark Temple's drumming in it is just incredible. Like it, it it's, and and there were times when I saw them live when he really struggled with trying to sort of get get those uh, the yeah. at the beginning because um you know that's. That, that's hard work. You want to you 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 want to have stretched before doing that. And we were quite often asked a guest, Andrew, had they seen the the act and the album that they love live? But it, it sounds like I should say how many dozen or even say hundreds <laughs> times have you seen the Hummingbirds live? I did see them, I think, every time they were in Adelaide. I I, I, I know I went to a couple of gigs where they were you know, the, the touring support and... Um, you know, pretty much left after they played. Um, <laughs> but I, I certainly saw every every headline show that they did as well, and um, and with the various. Uh, I think I only saw them play with Robin maybe twice though, because because okay. uh, she she uh, uh, she and Simon had the, their f- first kid. Um, it was early in the Vava Voom era, right? And Nick Nick Dalton. Um, who is now in Ratcat and was then in the Plunderers and had been in love positions with Robin and stuff like that. He'd taken over playing bass, certainly, certainly for the touring for Vava Voom. And and of course Milo, uh, their their son is the uh, the the baby about whom the Lemonheads' Rocking Stroll is written. Okay, the oh, first really? song on um, on It's a Shame About Ray, oh. which is a freakingly cool thing to be. <laughs> But, okay, um, it's, it's not, it's not Robin's... quite like being, you know, the guy that Hey Jude was written about or anything. But still, yeah, who was that? Anyone like? I mean, who 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 even heard of him? That guy. Who, who, who knows? Yeah, yeah, Jude somebody. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, like when I when I saw them, they, they actually did a show where they played the album start to finish, and um, and they didn't do Robin's songs because she she was not in the band at that point, and. And I've got to say that when you take Robin's songs out, this, the album really loses something. Because, I mean, particularly stuff like Everything she's, every, sorry, everything You Said, which is just this, like you can almost 
imagine it as a Jesus and Mary Chain song. Like all, all you'd need to do is put like massive amounts of dripping, <laughs> yeah, dripping distorted guitar over it, and suddenly you you would have invented Mazzy Star a decade earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but it's such yeah. a such a lovely sweet song. And of course, you know, um, if you leave and ask to go, are both hers. And so, like when you <laughs> when you take them away, you you end on Michelle as well, which is a great song, but not a classic. It's album it's, it's not what you'd finish the album on. No, no. Oh, I, I read an interview with Simon Holmes uh, just before they did the uh, the reunion for the Big Day Out in I think 2011 or 2012. Mm, yes, um, and uh, he was talking about sort of the early, you know, w- when they started up the Hummingbirds and and when they were with Phantom, and he said that he wanted to do the kind of the, the Beatles thing of releasing an album, uh, you know, two, two two albums a year and a single every three months kind of thing, um, and and you know, reading that, I, I sort of felt like. He really wanted this group to be very much like the Beatles because th- there isn't really a lead singer. Yes, there's there's mostly him and mostly Alana, but they do mix it up. And mm. I think you're right. I think if if you didn't have the Robin Sinclair tracks, it changes the whole character of the album. Absolutely, and, and it's, yeah. It's it's, it's 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 like if you if you leave off any of the George Harrison tracks from the Beatles albums, or mm. even even if you don't play the Ringo tracks, you lose something. Yeah, you don't it, it was a bad bad thing. <laughs> well, I think like every every great band is is kind of more than the sum of its parts, and that was one of the things about the Hummingbirds is you obviously had a bunch of people who would yeah. would be fine as solo artists or would be yeah. fine, you know, in 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 any band they were going to thrive. I mean, you know, yeah. Alana's an amazing songwriter, a great player, and as a gorgeous voice, Robin had already mm. done stuff. Simon was clearly, you know, super driven and incredibly talented, and and and, yeah. and 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 yet it's not Simon and his band. No, you know, no, it's, it's, it's it's such a band, and I and I think it, it, it is an ensemble. One of the, well, I think it's it was one of the problems that when, um, sort of after Vavavoom, when when Robin left, it, you know, my understanding, and, and you know, again, I'm not entirely privy to the. Uh, to the, the private lives of the bands, but you know, her and Simon's relationship was was over, and they, mm. um, and I think that that it, it kind of you know it really kicked something out from under the band. Then Mark yeah. left a little while later, and they they got in a a drummer who was very very good. Like they did a, an EP called Gone, um, which they self released, and they had this really tight rhythm section. And like for for the song "Gone," that worked great because it sounded like a kind of a ride single. But for a lot of the other stuff, and, and certainly for the um, uh, for the some of Alana's stuff in particular, it just it needed that kind of fragility that you get with with Mark, where where you where you can almost kind of hear him straining. Like, you know, mm. it's, it's like listening to the Smiths and, and sort of there are, there are times when Mike Joyce isn't quite on the beat or you can mm. hear him, like there's something I, uh, <clears throat> just to drop a name here, when I was interviewing Johnny Marr and he was talking about this. <laughs> he, he, was, he was saying that one of the things he loved about playing with Mike is Mike would speed up in the chorus. And he's like, you know, and a great pop song should speed up in the chorus. And I was like, oh, okay, I've never heard anybody say that before. No. But now I'm going to listen to the Smiths and oh my goodness, you're right. <laughs> And 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 I, and I think you know Mark wasn't technically the greatest drummer on the face of the earth, but it it gave the songs a, 
a, a real how to put this? You know, it's like there's the, some some bands. Hummingbirds were definitely one like this when you saw them live, or, or Pavement. If you've uh, seen Pavement live, it's like when everything worked, they were transcendent, and when it didn't, they were just a shambles. Yeah. And and like in, when they were a shambles, they were still fun, and they were still cute, and they still you know like the songs are still great. But there were you know it kept you like as, as somebody watching the band, you it, it kept you ridiculously invested because <laughs> you're there sort of going, like I, I i know at any moment this could fall apart mm-hmm. whereas say like a band like the falling joys who i also adored and, and was seeing every every time they came to adelaide the one thing about the joys was that the joys never had a bad gig like the the the, the joys were always great yeah um but the hummingbirds were either like fine or they were incredible and that i don't know that, that kind of and it, you know, it, it made the shows more of an event, I guess. It made it more like you knew when you went and saw the, the Falling Joys that you were going to walk away going, "That was great!" Like they, they just, yeah, you know, yeah. They, they, they have an incredible rhythm section. They, they're a shit hot live band. And actually, seeing them again recently at, um, with the Hummingbirds, in fact, at, um, at New, Newtown Social Club a little while ago, they again, you know, hadn't seen them in God, it would have been twenty years, and. Yeah, they just walked out on stage and killed it. <laughs> and the hummingbirds <laughs> were were kind of shambolic, and it was wonderful. And it was just such a it just brought back so many memories of watching both bands and 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 the different the difference in the experience of seeing two bands that I that I adored as as deeply as I as I did. Yeah. And and like two of my favourite sort of Australian live bands, uh, I, I think masters of of walking that line, um, like. I've never seen a band called Chisel Show, and mm. they they fuck around. Yeah, you know? like they 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 will they will just decide. Okay, we're gonna you know we're gonna skip a verse now, or we're gonna throw in something else. And they they play, and it's and it's interesting because you can see them quite clearly listening to one another on stage mm. and sort of and reacting in the moment, which is fantastic. And and that's, that's yeah, you know, I think that's what you want to see. And then I mean, another band who I. I, I can never see often enough as custard and yeah. and it's just like for a band who are that tight and they really are tight when they they particularly again they've, they've just got such a tight rhythm section they keep it loose and they keep it wonderfully loose live like there's some there's something and I feel like it's mainly Dave McCormack just bringing some element of chaos into what could otherwise be a you know a, a, a run through the hits and memories yeah and and it's um mm. And again, it's that thing of when you're watching. This is going to sound so pretentious, but <laughs> it, it, it's it's when you're watching people play music when it is play when when yes. people are, you know, playing it the, the way you play a game or playing it the way you play sport. It's that that thing of of reacting in the moment and and being very. Oh Christ! I can't believe I'm going to say this. Very present in the I moment. <laughs> And it's and it's such a I mean it's a pretty thing to say but I can't really think of any That's other way true. of putting it. Where, and and, and dude, you you're, you're like on a podcast a band, called the Music Dissectors. I think being <laughs> pretentious is okay. But when you see a band who you know are clearly playing the set that they have played, you know, a billion times before, and I and I understand why bands do that too. I mean, the the bigger you get, the less you can afford things to go wrong, and you know, bands will have lighting cues or they'll have you know, like. Yeah, and, and that can be kind of exciting too. I mean, I can remember seeing St. Vincent 
um, mm. which is one of the most rehearsed shows I've ever seen. And it was thrilling because it was just, you know, it, you could you could set your watch by it. Yeah. And it helps that, you know, she's an incredible performer. She had a, an amazing band. The songs are incredible. <clears throat> but it was a very different experience from seeing, uh, I don't know, like the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, who I've always, like they were a band who I kind of liked. And then I saw them live and I was just like, I, you know, I have never seen a band, well, I've not seen in a long time a band who enjoy the process of playing live as much as these people. And that they really threw themselves into it. And, and, and you know, I, I always like it when you, when you get the set list, you know, we have a look at the set list after the show and discover that what was written on the stage was not what was played. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's just going to go like, I love you. they made decisions. And if I wasn't here in the room, I wouldn't have heard that. You know, it's, it's always, that's what you want. You don't want to have that thing of like, if I had, you, you, you I, 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 I could have come a different that, night and seen the same, same set. Yeah, thing, exactly. You know? It's like, I, I don't want to feel like, if I'd gone to Wollongong, I would have had the same experience. That's right. I, I want to feel like, like the people in Newcastle had one experience, and the people in Melbourne had one experience, and I had one experience, and that this, you know, is, is kind of a precious moment for everybody involved, rather than That's I mean, right. Brian Adams run through Summer of '69 for the yeah. eight billionth time. <laughs> Uh, or one of, one of Matthew's favourite bands, U2. I mean, I, I don't mind U2, but they tend to have the same service <laughs> night after night. Well, with somebody like U2, you get to a point where it's like, you know, if you've got a new record, it's like, okay, what one song are we going to add? That's like, right. Of the 15 that we've just recorded, like, what what is the one song on this record which we can play next to New Year's Day and it's not going to sound like a massive fucking <laughs> drop in, in quality? That's right. Is it none of them? Yes, it's none of them. <laughs> it's none of them, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I just want to give my commission a commitment as a musician to always remain shambolic. And it's just because I can't do it any other way, but I'm, I'm with you on the philosophy. Yeah, I mean, this this might give some indication as to why the Undecided and the Career Girls were not perhaps the uh, globe-striding superstars that we uh, we assumed we would be, because we were kind of like, you know, this, this was very much um, our philosophy of playing. Particularly when we got to a point where we were like, you know what's good, booze. We should drink more of that before we play. <laughs> can I can I just mention? I, I've uh, I've just very quickly done a little Google search for the Undecided, just in case I had some some uh, trivia that I could share with you about your own band. Uh, the, 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 <laughs> the first the first entry tells me that the Undecided are a hardworking five piece cover band, hailing from Ooh. the depths of Sutton in Surrey. Um, yeah, that's us. The the, 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 the next one. Straight out uh, of the, un the, the, the undecided on Australian music history. I'm thinking, okay, this is promising. They're a Sydney-based rock pop band. That's <laughs> not you. That's not us, uh, no. And, and, and then there's the Wikipedia entry for the undecided, which tells me that they are a uh, Christian pop band. <laughs> in, in, indeed, a Christian pop punk band. I, I'm tempted. Oh, I, wow. I, I must my, know my what the hell that is. Favorite things. A Christian pop punk band from Steinbach, Manitoba, in Canada. So, wow. um, straight out of Steinbach. Yeah, you, 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 you guys really haven't um, made quite the impact that you might have yeah. hoped. Yeah, Sorry. I, I think it's. I think it's fair <laughs> to say that we we didn't get cut through. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, in those pre-internet days, um, I, I did. I, I was genuinely amazed when I discovered that there was a New Zealand band fairly recently called Career Girls, and I was like, "How? How? Why? Why would you?" Yeah, like, <laughs> that's odd. Like we we 
you know, at no point did we think it was a good name. What the hell were you thinking? Yeah. I can say, though, that there's more undecided Google entries than I did Google Quiff Boy Plansky before, and there is, <laughs> there, is no, there is no reference beyond the hummingbirds. It just he doesn't exist. He or she don't exist oh. outside of the hummingbirds. Well, that's it. I mean, clearly, clearly Quiff Boy just went, my work here is done, <laughs> and right. walked into the ocean. <laughs> uh, Where are you, Quiff Boy? <laughs> So Andrew... He started a new life. Now he now he's sells shoes in, in Kuala Lumpur. <laughs> and you, you you mentioned that uh, Andrew, you got to know Simon Holmes at least a little bit. And I mean, sadly, he passed away this year. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so there's I can't imagine there's ever going to be a, a you know any hummingbirds reunion without Simon. But um. Yeah. So how how well and you know what's the impact of has that had on you as far as it being a real end of an era. Uh, well, I mean, when I when I heard the news, I sort of heard rumours about it before. Like a, a friend of mine in Melbourne and actually um, heard about it and knew I was a knew I was a fan and <clears throat> pardon me knew that sort of I'd, I'd been uh, an earlier version of the book. I'd, I'd been doing a bunch of interviews with people, one of whom was Simon, and um, and I'd not long done you know sort of sat down with him for an hour or so and talked about music and talked about the Sydney scene in the early nineties and stuff like that. And he was, you know, his, uh, as he always was incredibly knowledgeable mm. and very charming and, and, and obsessive and, you know, a, a man who just lived and breathed music. And it, it was just such a shock. And, and it was one of those things where, I mean, you always say this, but you know, my first response was, oh, well, ob- that can't be true. Mm. Like that, that ob- obviously this is a mistake. Somebody's, sharing a, a, a vicious rumor yeah, yeah. um and and then kind of as it as it dawned and when i'm, I'm I, I can't remember what was up but just you know suddenly facebook just exploded with mm. people going you know oh my god and and i noticed that um yeah, again i kind of knew other members of the band semi-socially as well mm. so when when i suddenly realized you know robin and alana and stuff had were, were not they had not been on social media at all for days mm. and i was just like oh hell this is true mm. it, and it was just uh, you know like it, it's uh, how to how to put this properly it like I mean, it's all—it's always a shock, but you, but there there are people, you know, particularly in music, you know, when people start getting into their their forties and their fifties and their sixties mm. and stuff like that, you know, you when people start to get ill and 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 you know the the decades of hard living start to catch up with yeah. people, and you're kind of like, well, th- this is tragic, but it's not a shock. Like you you know, hearing hearing George Young die the other day yes. was, was was incredibly sad, but you're also going like, well. You know, there's you know, that that was a good innings, particularly Absolutely. given you know the life that that he had lived, particularly early on. And you know, or or you know, when Steve Prestwich from from Chisel mm. passed away, I mean, that was you know, he'd had health problems beforehand and things yeah. like that. And you, you kind of, it's horrible and it's tragic, and your heart goes out, and and it's you know a part of a part of you that you know from a younger, happier time sort of that you think well I'm, you know that that's now 
gone mm. and that you know that that goes with that person but with Simon it was just like well you know he he's a little bit older than me but not not dramatically so right. you know he's kind of a, a contemporary and we moved in in similar circles we had a lot of friends in common and you know he was just one of those guys I was like as soon as when I was putting the book together the when it was kind of a bit more about sort of an oral history of, of Australian music, I was like, oh, I'm going to be picking Simon Holmes's brain for this, like, endlessly. I'll be, you know, emailing him questions because nobody remembers that era yeah, like yeah. he does. You know, he just had this encyclopedic knowledge. And it just, it, you know, it was that, I'm trying to remember, I think it might have been Douglas Adams who, who described grief as being like leaning against an unexpectedly open door. And, and it's that... You know, it's it's just that you feel so off balance, and and I'm I, you know I wasn't super close to him. I I, I want to emphasize that yeah, yeah. you know my relationship with him was much more as a as a fan who vaguely knew him than yes. as you know as a as a friend who ha- who had some claim on yeah, yeah. on 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 grief. Um, but it was such a you know, it just felt so horribly horribly unfair and 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 horribly wrong and and just. You know, the the more the, as as more details emerge, it just you know, it was, there's um, yeah, it was devastating. Mm. I think it was, and and you look at, um, I mean, there's a show coming up at the factory, which is kind of a fundraiser for his his family, and it's this dream lineup. Like it's an amazing lineup of incredible musicians. You know, Custard are playing, the Love Tones are playing, Ratcat are playing, um, Alana's doing a set. Uh, Trish and Jody from the Clouds are playing, and and it's like it, it is basically my dream mm-hmm. lineup from from you know when I was twenty years old, with the absence of the hummingbirds, and that's why. And yeah. it's and it's and you just feel like why couldn't this happen? You know, for for happier reasons, why couldn't this happen? As a matter of course, as this celebration of an incredible epoch in music, an incredible you know in, incredibly talented musicians incredibly talented songwriters and such a, a wonderful time in australian music and yeah it was yeah i i, I, I don't know what else to no. say about it. it was just no, horrible no. to yeah. and horrible to feel like i mean having seen them quite recently too they they've done a, a cure tribute show not long earlier and i i've sort of i've not been out much this year because of because um, having a, a, a small child but <laughs> seeing them seeing them play at uh, Newtown Social with, with the Falling Joys and again with um, with Trish and Jody and, uh, and Sierra Finn open they were really good too the you know it just sort of as I say it brought so many of those feelings back and so so much of that excitement and so much mm. of that enthusiasm back and it was just you know like there was there was also that that horrible tantalizing promise that maybe there was something else you know like yeah, yeah. like hatchets had clearly been been buried they had a a lineup who'd been playing together for a few years with um with a new bassist and you know Alana and Simon were kind of living in the like Alana had lived in Victoria for a long time and so sort of having her back in Sydney meant that you know you know it, it was it, like I don't think anybody was saying, you know, I wonder if there'll be another hummingbird no. record, except for me in my head in my most sort of optimistic dreams. But you know, it's that 
I mean, that that's uh, in a weird way the the worst part of just feeling like there was a future there yeah. and now there's not. Absolutely. Sorry, that's a very very grim... no, not at all. Well, I think it's it, a it, fitting it, testament. It, it, look, I, I, I... I, I, I might just just mention uh, if anybody is interested that um, that show, which is called uh, Hindsight: A Night for Simon, uh, is at the Factory Theatre in Sydney on the third of December, uh, and apparently tickets are still available. I'll put so, I'll put a link. Anybody is interested in going along? Yeah, yeah. I, I know there's not many tickets because um, yeah, it's not a, not a big. Venue, so. I just got around to buying mine not long ago, and it's feeling very lucky i grab, grab some it's gonna yeah i mean it'll as i say it's a dream lineup and for the worst possible reason uh, but. but have you learned any of the songs <laughs> andrew is there a bassist in the house <laughs> i i i well you see that that's the problem you'd have to, you'd, you'd have to be able to play like simon i don't think anybody does yeah he's <laughs> he's, he's um he's too amazing an act to follow unfortunately yeah no, I think that's a, a very fitting testament to the music of the Hummingbirds, and um, I can't imagine there's anyone that's listening to this that hasn't heard the album. But if you you haven't, it's definitely well worth a listen. So, and Andrew, thank you so 100%. much for for your time. Oh, we my, really my really pleasure. appreciate it. And um, we will have links to the book and your podcast um, oh, in the show much. notes as well. But yeah, um, really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, look, any any opportunity to to remind people that the hummingbirds were one of the the greatest bands that australia has ever produced i will i will take with both as you can tell i will take with both hands and throttle absolutely (laughs) your your, your enthusiasm is infectious it's great And there was the interview. Oh, look, I could talk to Andrew all night. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I got a bit of a lump in my throat, really, by the end. I, I, I got to say, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, that was a lot of fun. And the, the, the man knows his music, but I tell you, I, I was um, having trouble keeping it together towards the end there. Yeah, and it's been a bit like that anyway the last couple of years. I must admit, um, and I mean, Andrew had the unique position of, you know, somewhat knowing Simon, but even Tom Petty mm. passing away. I mean, I, I was yeah. you know quite shocked by Bowie and Prince, but um, Petty's the one that's really got me recently. That's just uh, you know a massive loss. And and see, look, of the sort of uh, recently deceased rock stars, the, the the one that I still just can't believe it is George Michael. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's what, what the hell? What the hell? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it's 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 just wrong. It's just wrong. Yeah, so, but uh, yeah, Simon's gone way too soon. And yeah, look, a, a bit of a bit of a down note for us to finish a podcast on. But I, uh, I uh, hard hard not to uh, cover that subject matter. No, absolutely. And mm. on a more up up note, anyone that can solve the mystery of Quiff Boy Plansky gets a lifetime <laughs> subscription to this podcast. I, I, I am just hereby inviting Quiff Boy Polanski to come on <laughs> as a guest oh, on, on this podcast. If if it happens that Quiff Boy Polanski is, in fact, a female entomologist. <laughs> oh, no. 
<laughs> I, 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 I will give you my car. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I think you're fairly safe, but I, I'm going to plaster Quiff Boy Plansky all over the show notes so that it does appear as one of the four entries on Google. That'll be great. That'll be great. <laughs> for the title. Quiff Boy Polanski needs fame, I think. <laughs> That's right. We're looking for Quiff Boy Polanski. <laughs> so, Quiff um... Boy, where are you, Quiff Boy? Come home, Quiff Boy. All is forgiven, Quiff Boy. <laughs> That's right. Oh, dear. So, um, yeah, no, that, was, that was excellent. A huge thanks to Andrew for that. Um, and, yes, uh, do buy his book because I, I know I'm looking forward to reading it. I, I, I need to know what the other, uh, what the other ghastly song is. Yeah, it's how I'm, ch- I'm trying to think. There, there are a fair few. I mean, come on. Yeah. They'd ha- oh. Singing in the Shower by the Solid Citizens, but that's not that well known. Anyway, we won't yeah. go there. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, we will be back again probably. F- uh, I haven't actually because I don't do forward planning. We'll be back for what will pr- be our last show for the year um, early in December. And... Um, I apologise to those. I don't know how early in December. Remember, the first half of December, I'll be um, jet-setting about the country, following a certain former member of the um, was it Rolling Stones Uh, (laughs) or the Beach Boys or one of those '60s groups. Their bassist is actually out here, and he's going to be doing like uh, some old hits, and I shall be uh, I shall be following him around. I'm wondering if um, there's a small chance um, I actually may be going to the Sydney show now. I've had someone offer me tickets if they um, don't end up taking their mother. Um, hey. <laughs> who happens to be my mother as well. So um, yeah, <laughs> my, bro- my brother's offered me a ticket possibly, so I, I don't know the fact that I'm going. But maybe we should do a live show with Paul, like we've always said we would. Absolutely. On stage. <laughs> On stage. On stage. <laughs> Well, welcome to the Kudos Arena. We're now going to do a live recording of the Music Dissectors. <laughs> Buckle your seats. It's going to be a bumpy night. That's right. Um, very very quick McCartney reference, too. I, um, I'm in a band that I'm having a hell of a lot of fun playing with, and we're playing a big gig on the 2nd of December, and I'm playing on keyboard in for uh, Venus and Mars and Rock Show. Oh, cool. Yeah. So thanks to the good taste of our bass player who loves McCartney, that's uh, one of the songs in our set. I, th- I think all bass players love McCartney a little bit. Yes. Yeah. He, he, he proves that a bass player can get chicks. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I was going to make a, you know, an inappropriate Linda McCartney reference there, but I won't. Um, I, I wouldn't. I look, saying it. <laughs> A bass player can get chicks. When we've just talked, we've just been talking about the hummingbirds, whose bass player was female. You know, already that's a totally inappropriate reference. I don't think we want to go any no, further down we don't. the path. Frankly. We don't, particularly when we just had a big Anglo podcast of an Andrew, Matthew, and a David. Yeah, <sighs> we're so multicultural. Um, feel the diversity. Feel the diversity. All right, so as always, if you'd like to offer an opinion, suggestion, or we're always up for people to offer themselves as a guest. Or uh, if you know the whereabouts of Quiff Boy. If you know the whereabouts of Quiff Boy, we'd definitely like you to email us at contact at the Music Week net or dot net, sorry, or visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Music Dissectors. You've got to like that page, Matthew. I'm still waiting on that day when it says Matthew J.C. Powell has liked the Music Dissectors. Haven't I liked it? I don't think so. I could be wrong. Um, not that I'm, you know, staying awake like. at night worrying about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
to keep things uh, spread well among the decades, said if you've got a more recent album, and I mean, I think Andrew Kane of the party there, 89's getting up there a little bit. Uh, we'd especially love to hear from you. And as far as our next guest in sometime in December or maybe January, depending on how your McCartney stalking goes, um, <laughs> we've got a choice of uh, yeah a, a Van Morrison album or possibly a uh, Springsteen one. I've got two Ooh. guests, two guests on the boil, and I'm just, just finalising one or the other. And I apologise. I think I've said on at least two shows we're doing Rick Springfield. Um, and that's because um, the guest is keen but keeps moving house and having other more important things to do. So they're, they're Come on, Rick, ones. settle down. Yeah. <laughs> um, previous episodes of the show are on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher and Chinin, and all episodes are on our website, www.themusicweek.net. So thanks very much for listening, and thank you, as always, Matthew. Thank you, David. Um, and, yeah, we'll be back in December, hopefully, but don't hold us against it. Hold it against us if it's January. Um, we'll be back. And in the meantime, find a new album to love. Good night. <laughs>